we are getting live. So just saying welcoming to our community that is joining us uh, at this time. Let's wait another couple of seconds to assure that everyone is tuning in. The ones who are deciding to follow us online, you can always see the recording after the show being live. So welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we, we bring the best tech leaders uh, in the world, from San Francisco to London uh, and Asia, Africa, Latin America, to uh, discuss what we are obsessed about, which is how to scale a company from 1 million to 100 million ARR in five to seven years, seven to 10 years. And I have the pleasure to, to have with me today a special guest, uh, which is Daytree Packnat, the CEO and co-founder at Workforce. Daytree, it's really a pleasure to have you and thanks so much for making the time. Likewise, I'm happy to be here. And Daytree, I, I saw uh, your path until now and it's amazing that you are a free time uh, entrepreneur. You took already one idea, uh, from you from zero from scratch to 300 million and you exited it to IBM. So not only 100 million, which we are obsessed about here in the show, but also to 300 million, which I think it would be another series of the show how to get from 100 million to 1B and from 1 to 10B. That very few tech companies are on on that journey. And so and here you are again uh, in, uh, in with workboard. Uh, doing it again. So let us know a little bit more about yourself uh, and about Workforce and how you ended uh, um, starting up Workforce. Yeah, great. So as you said, it's the third company that I've uh, led and uh, been a, a co-founder of. The uh, And I, I like coming up with ideas where I'm particularly focusing on problems that are a process that doesn't work or that creates too much risk or not enough velocity and in particular for large companies. So, and I've mostly been doing that for my whole career. So it was sort of natural to think about how do I take ideas I have and then grow my own company around those. Uh, the, when IBM bought my last company and, and some part of that growth you know, from zero to 300 million, some part of that growth took place inside IBM and I led the business unit there. And what I realized is that driving growth in a startup company is very different than driving growth in a large enterprise. And there is, uh, in some ways, there's a lot of advantages of trying to grow business inside a, a world like IBM. You have distribution power, you have scale, but there are also enormous disadvantages trying to drive growth inside IBM. And it's friction and noise and a lack of alignment, a lack of clarity, a lack of measurement. And while the people at the top of the organization may be really clear on what they're driving, what they're measuring, there's 14 layers below that where people are a lot less clear. And I thought that was a waste of the energy, of the intellect, of the horsepower, of all those people in the organization who didn't understand how to contribute to the strategic priorities and the growth of the organization. And I ended up thinking that was not a problem we could solve with more meetings and more PowerPoints. It was a problem we should solve by taking a systematic approach 
to how we get aligned on strategic priorities, how we measure those, how we drive them, how we make sure everybody's included and contributing. And so that led us to start Workboard. Uh, and I left IBM to uh, grow this company. Congratulations. And, and what, is, what is the solution of Workboard to the problem that you just mentioned? So how, how Workboard solves or helps to solve this lack of alignment, this lack of clarity, this lack of follows or, or even uh, measurement? Yeah. So when I think about alignment, particularly if you think about that in a large company, the organization's bigger. So there are uh, more parts of it, more complexity, people are distributed over more area, right? They're global and they're not in one building and they can't all fit in one conference room, right? They can't even all fit in one city. And so part of the system, if you will, is to think about over distance connecting people. So take a more systematic approach. So it literally drives an alignment process from the organization, the leadership team. What are the objectives we're trying to achieve? What are the key results that we use to define success? And it drives a process of what we think of as localizing those objectives and key results through teams in the organization. And that's a systematic process, right? So what happens is everyone can see how those objectives and those key results connect, right? And one of the observations I have is yeah, not everybody knows how to set objectives and measure results. In fact, a huge part of the organization has no idea how to do that well. And so the next step in alignment is making it easy to what I think of as audit, whether we really are aligned or not. And that's different than the sort of, yep, got my goals in, check the box. It's really looking at whether the outcomes one team is driving really contribute to the outcomes of the organization. And in order to really look at that at any kind of scale, it can't be in a bunch of Google Sheets and PowerPoints. Nobody has enough time in the universe to go find all those files and see how they stitch together and see whether the, the math adds up. The system should really make that super simple. So that, if you will, a systematic approach to getting aligned and having what I think of as high integrity alignment which is not automatic, <laughs> the system really helps that process. Uh, the measurement is actually something where software is fantastic, right? Like it's what software does really well. And in a sense, by taking a system that guides people to think about where they're going from to mm -hmm. and helps them be smarter about what they're measuring, about the unit of measure and so on. And then my personal favorite feature after years at IBM is does all your charts and graphs for you. <laughs> you don't have to spend any time <laughs> PowerPoints, right? So be smarter about what you're measuring, make it easier to see whether the measure, the math adds up to company outcomes, and then automate a lot of the management reporting and visibility that consumes extraordinary amounts of time if you actually want to achieve those strategic priorities. Like, where do you know, where are you now? How do you know if you're making the right amount of progress? That should be continuously visible as opposed to it takes all the way down the management chain, it takes one person two days to pull it all together, compile it and report it out. And that's too slow, too labor intensive and a waste of time, honestly. Got it. And in, in terms of the stage of workforce as, as an organization, uh, as a business, so how large in terms of headcount is, is the company, uh, any funding rounds, 
uh, how many clients, any any names that you that you could disclose. So give us just an idea about the stage of in the scaling of Charney. Yep. So we're about a hundred people right now. We are um, on the trajectory that you uh, you suggest uh, the three x three x two x two x tripled in the last in both of the last two years, uh, we raised a round of a series B round, $23 million in March of this year. Um, that uh, brings our total capital raised to about 35 million. Relative to our size and our, our revenue, we are um, an incredibly efficient company. So for every uh, dollar we spend on sales and marketing, we generate $2 in revenue and about half of our sales come from our existing customer base. Uh, so we've really taken that land and expand business model uh, to its fullest fruition. Our customers include Cisco and Microsoft and Workday and IBM and uh, Transamerica on the large end and include, of course, a lot of growth companies uh, like Malwarebytes and GoOne that are getting a lot of traction and are growing really quickly. And what they're trying to do is continue to grow fast as they gain more scale. That's, that's an awesome progress. Uh, you are doing it again. So I'm really proud uh, of, of your milestones and of your track record. And so that's time to introduce uh, for the ones who have been following us for a long time, almost 80 episodes at, at this stage of the show, uh, the Rocktail Habits. So what are the Rocktail Habits for the ones who are joining for the first time? Are a set of 10 basic principles that John Rockefeller, one of the most successful businessmen in the history of the United States, has applied to create his own empire. And you can just write on Google or go to our blog to our website, 10 Rockefeller Alice checklist, and you will have those 10 principles. We will discuss some of them uh, in this conversation and also have uh, specific examples about what Deidre is doing at, at Workboard. And I see, by the way, here a very interesting um, uh, importance of a, of a tool like Workboard to apply the Rockefeller habits uh, as well. And the habit number one is to have the executive team is healthy and aligned. And if we can't have this habit in place, uh, it doesn't matter to work another nine habits. And that's why we always start here. And from a growth stage to another growth stage, and you know this better than myself because I've been scaling companies to 300 million, you know that uh, we need to keep iterating and uh, working on the next version of the leadership team every six to 12 months and coaching the ones who need to grow and uh, changing the ones who would like to have another purpose in life in their professional careers and bringing the ones that the company needs to go to the next stage. So how do you do this exercise as, as a previous CEO already three times uh, and, and now with, with WorkWork? I think actually helping grow the leadership team over time, of course, is the CEO's job. It's probably one of the things that most CEOs worry the most about, right? And it's easiest to get wrong. Uh, it's, uh, and it's, I'll, I'll be perfectly candid, it's hard right? Because the team that got you here may or may not be the team that gets you there. And of course, you're deeply grateful and deeply connected to the team that got you here. And so it's really challenging, actually, for CEOs 
uh, and founders to know what's the right point in time where you scale the leadership team? Do you bring somebody over the top of your existing team? Does the team person move somewhere else and you add a new person? It's, it's pretty challenging. I just uh, last week uh, spent three days with eight other CEOs, all at different stages of growth, all super successful people. Everyone struggles with this one. What's the right point in time and so on. But one of the things that, that is, um, if you're really in a triple, triple, double, double world, right? If your company's growing really quickly, a couple things happen that are um, different than a slower growth company. And the first thing that happens is more opportunity opens up faster. So people can move from skill building and leading this area to skill building and leading in a different area. And so it really creates a lot of avenues for your early team to really grow and rise in different ways. And it's not always the way they were doing it last year, right? So the person who led product marketing might actually move to go lead a pre-sales team instead, right? And so people can move laterally, build more complete skills. And particularly if they're entrepreneurs, getting a full array of skills just prepares them to go start their own thing. I think the, the next piece that happens in a, a tripling environment is um, it, not everybody's actually ready to grow at a triple. It, it means you've got to be doing planning for four quarters out right now. You've got to hire for four quarters out right now. Um, by contrast, if you're doubling, you can hire for two quarters out. It takes more guts to grow at a triple than it does at a double, right? It's just you're making bigger bets and you've got to make them really, really fast, which means you've got to be paying attention to your data and your truth equally fast. Or you'll be operating on data that's just completely wrong now because at a triple, the truth changes every 100 days in a meaningful way. That's, that's really very good point. And um, we, we, we had a, also a very interesting guest yesterday, which was Christine Hacker, the CEO of Killer, which I think that she also shares some investors um, that also invested in, in workforce. Uh, and, and something that is really interesting that she was uh, discussing that sometimes we think to incrementally uh, in terms of improving our processes, uh, the way we are doing things and really to grow free x or two x as you are saying we need to be thinking much further away five years and kind of cascading it down to the current moment and anticipating also the midterm which usually people struggle with sometimes we get to the short and long term but the midterm the next two to three years it's difficult to, to see what it looks like and sometimes it takes the very difficult decisions and we, we get to the, the, the number two habit, which is everyone is aligned with the number one thing that needs to be accomplished this quarter to move the company forward. Uh, and these are the very difficult strategic decisions, which is we can, we want to be global leaders, but in what years we will be leaders in the next uh, 12 months or in the next quarter. Uh, we want to be leaders in specific verticals, uh, but what is the vertical that we will choose next? And at the same time, we need maybe to launch a, pro uh, a product or to launch new features for a current product. But if we are trying to do all of this power, we want to go enterprise. If we are just telling to mid-market 
uh, or want to start selling to mid-market uh, after we have been uh, enterprise and, and level self-service solution. And we can see for just the amount of examples that I gave, if we try to do more than one thing, this can become chaotic and the free text uh, is counterintuitive, but can be almost impossible to uh, execute. So how do you resist the temptation as a CEO, which is highly ambitious, highly energetic, we always believe that we can do more, more uh, to resist and say, no, 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 let's pursue just this very big thing this quarter that will allow us to get closer to achieve our BI. Yeah. So I don't, I, I, don't, I don't have a lot of struggle with saying we're going to be focused. That's actually super easy for me to say we're going to be focused. Partly it's what we do, right? And the, which is uh, uh, something I believe deeply in. But it's also, uh, and maybe the CEO gets a little bit of an unfair advantage here, but it's really a, the unit economics, right? It's like, what's the math to drive growth? And so it, when I think about uh, where we're gonna focus our time and, and effort, I think, what will it cost me to acquire a dollar in revenue? And if it, as I mentioned earlier, if it, I spend a dollar to acquire $2 in revenue, I have more to invest to acquire more of that revenue. If I'm less efficient about that and we're all over the map and we have too much friction and we're sloppy and we spend, because we're trying to do a bunch of things, we don't do the things we need to very well, then the things we actually do cost us more. And so then we have less capital to invest in growth. And so to me, this, what I think of as smart, fast growth makes it really easy to say, no, we're not going to Europe right now. No, we're in the US and enterprise. And no, we're not gonna be in the credit card business. We're gonna be in the enterprise business. It gets really, really easy. What helps me and what I, the way I talk to my team about that is if you are chasing a thousand things, it's a form of competing with yourself. There's plenty of competition in the market. We don't need to compete with ourselves, right? You take the thing we wanna be when we grow up and we dial in to that and we are voraciously hungry to go make that happen, heads down, go make it happen. Where I think, um, we use OKRs, as you know, but where I think getting aligned, what that really means is declaring what it is we're trying to accomplish, declaring the measurements that tell us what success really is, and then staying tuned into that week in, week out. And I find that reduces distraction and what I call shiny penny management. It reduces that a lot because you've given people the thing to focus on. And if we don't have a thing to focus on, we'll just look in every direction all the time and we get scattered and our resources are all over the map, which is a little bit like the challenges I had at IBM when there were lots of distractions everywhere. Got it. Uh, in terms of, by the way, finding this number one thing, uh, in your case, it's super clear that your solution is for enterprise and, and leveraging all this noise and confusion and bureaucracy and the size of the company that and, and the OKRs can help with this and even the, the, the platform or the software can help defining those OKRs uh, with intelligent suggestions in terms of measurement, etc. So do you think that thinking about verticals in terms of enterprise is useful in, in the beginning uh, and 
when do you think is the moment to start opening? Because I think that this is one of the most difficult stages when scaling up. When scaling up, we think, okay, in order to attain more growth, I need to start opening my strategy. I need to serve more customers. I need to launch more products. I need to launch new deals. And sometimes this is just slowing us down instead of being the category leaders. So it, this is usually very difficult to, to understand. Yeah. So I think that I'm sure you and probably others are familiar with Crossing the Chasm and Geoffrey Moore's book on how do you focus, in, if you have a large market, how do you attack that market, right? Right. All at once or with a, a more a methodical approach. I'm a huge fan and a giant believer in his approach. And it was an approach I took in my last company as well. And so when I think about, and it just goes back to the unit economics I talked about, right? So if we have, uh, for example, we're quite focused on 145 companies in a particular vertical in large enterprise. We're not focused on 10,000 other things. We're focused on these 145. And those are all in the same vertical. So when my sales reps go to call on company number 20 and they reference the 19 other customers that are in the same space, maybe even competitors to company 20, company 20 says, huh, yeah, you're in, you understand my business. You're in my world. And those reference examples are relevant to me. And what I find is that shortens your sales cycle. Oh, by the way, the, your users in company 16 and 17, they just got jobs at company 20. And they bring you in because, oh, at my last company, we use this thing, right? And so you're reducing the to acquire customers, right? And so to me, it's, um, it's actually about how cost efficiently can we dominate a particular market category? And so I like to, to pick verticals that are sequential and I like to pick them so that the next vertical recognizes the one before it as similar to them, right? Yep, those references, those customers you have, their business is like mine. And the, what I think of as the reference value flows over, right? And what that does on your for your sellers is it means they can be fluent and effective communicating value in the customer's context, right? Because everybody they talk to this week, this month, this year has a shared context versus, for example, you go to Procter & Gamble on Monday, you go to uh, JDA or Sabre on Tuesday. Every one of them has a different business. You got to do a lot more work to be savvy about your customer's pain and problem. And all that does is slow down your sales cycle. And so for me, it's when it's about how much friction there is and what are we doing to reduce that friction? And when we think the friction is low, we move into the next one, right? Very well explained. Thank you so much, Patrice. Uh, and yeah, let's, let's get closer to um, Rockefeller Arbus number three, uh, which is all about having the communication rhythms in place and assuring that uh, the communication is flowing bottom up, top down as quickly as possible, that we share uh, customer stories, employee stories, that we take action where we see opportunities and where we see bottlenecks for, for the growth of the company. Uh, and of course, we need to have 
scorecard uh, mm -hmm. everywhere to kind of influence uh, urgency, a sense of urgency, and mainly action, uh, not worry, action, and uh, a sense of fulfilling and getting closer to our PI. So what kind of rhythms do you, do you have in, in place or that you recommend? Yep. So we use a quarterly cadence of getting aligned. And the way we think about alignment is not aligning on what we're going to do, not aligning on output, but getting aligned on outcomes. And it's, uh, for me, a really important discipline at my company uh, to be clear about the outcomes we're trying to create. And then I trust and believe and know that the team will figure out what to do to get to those outcomes. If they don't know what outcome we're trying to drive, they just aren't empowered to make great decisions, right? And so we use a quarterly cadence of aligning on outcomes or aligning on results, not on activity, on results, right? So the right. measures that we think are successful. And then we, our habit is to establish what we think is our best possible set of results and outcomes. We do that at the leader level and at every team. And then those results or our best possible outcomes are, in our case, they're line of sight all the time. And so we have measurements of plan versus best possible, or sorry, actual versus best possible all the time. So we can always see, okay, we said we, we thought we would get 10 references, case studies published, and we're at six, right? So we got four to go. And at my current course and speed, we're going to make it. Or we have two, and at current course and speed, there's a lot of risk. So that data what we were trying to achieve and the results we're trying to drive and where we are now, everyone can see that all the time. And we, we take a, our habit is to measure our incremental progress on those results nearly continuously. So I have a, what I think of as a steady diet of results flowing in across the organization and it's super habit forming actually. <laughs> when I see, like every, we can all see each other's score on the board and it sort of builds more score, right? Because people are accomplishing things that mattered and they know they matter and they can see the needles moving. And it's actually pretty invigorating to see the needle move. Right? Absolutely. And you also have the typical dailies, weeklies, uh, and, and monthlies. Uh, on Never. Top of the Never. Never. For wow. static. That's, that's Never. a great answer. It's just... If I need to go to a meeting to find out where we are, I forgot to scale the company. Like never. Like meetings should not be where you go to get informed. Meetings should go be where you go informed to solve problems, to address a roadblock, to make a key decision to take a risk out, but they should not be where you go to have people read you the truth. Not, not scalable, slow, slow. And it's slow in two ways. One is you're not operating with the facts until you get to the meeting. And two, you're asking people to do a bunch of archaeology work to spoon feed to you when you get to the meeting. So no, no dailies, no weeklies, no monthlies, right? We do an all hands. Um, and we the all hands we do is a showcase, right? So we got a new design for something, showcase it. There's a new website it's about to launch, showcase it introduce our new customers, tell the stories and narratives about those customers and why they chose Workboard and so on. But we use that more of a way to build momentum and story across the team. Everybody, everybody in the company 
can always see on their mobile and on their laptop what our strategic priorities are, what we're measuring and where we are now. They can see that all the time. So we don't need to meet to read that to each other. And so what is the forum to, to make decisions? So when there is any conflict, so this, so anyone that is seeing any issue or even yourself as a CEO, if you see any strategic issue or any conflict across the mission marketing and sales or products and sales or engineering and products, uh, what do you do to kind of have the right environment to make decisions the meetings or the rhythms are not in, in place. I think the I think of it as a sort of an arc, right? So the first and best place to make those decisions around conflict are at the beginning of the quarter when you're getting aligned. So okay. if you have an awesome alignment process, those conflicts wash out before you're even two weeks into the quarter, right? And they have to be resolved at the beginning so that there's alignment between what, for example, sales is pursuing, marketing is pursuing, and, and also increasingly for our customers, what customer marketing and customer success are pursuing. Th those have to be aligned going into the quarter. And that actually reduces a lot of what I think of the uh, internal drag and churn and spin, right? Because we were on the same page to start with. And so then the things we need to deal with are, hey, it didn't go as we expected. We got new news or something went wrong or our hypothesis for what we were trying to accomplish was flawed in these ways. And then I think you use the data from what you set out to accomplish and where you are. And yes, I think meetings are super valuable for those. We in, in the Workboard app uh, have a couple of things, but one of them is meetings that have smart agendas. So the risks to your results are already on the agenda with the charts and the graphs. And so nobody has to say, hey, what should we talk about? It's, these are the things we need to talk about. And then it has a, a, a feature to capture the decisions made and publish those. So we never have the same meeting twice because we forgot what decision we made in the last one. And, oh, I didn't realize that we agreed on that. This is really actually much more explicit. Correct. That's amazing. And, and just getting back to, um, to the quarterly rhythm, um, so there are companies who prefer to do this in just a week and really have a kind of a OKR uh, week. There are other companies that prefer to start a little bit behind with the CEO and the leadership team setting up the direction and then having the, the different teams having offsites and preparing the leadership offsites and then communicating to all the companies what was decided uh, at the end. So what, what is your met methodology or your, your framework? So I'll give you sort of two dimensions to that. One, it, in our business, we facilitate those offsites and alignment for our customers, right? And so, and some of them are very large, right? So uh, what a very large organization that had, let's say 10,000 employees over a thousand teams, what they would do to get aligned on the quarter is different than what a 20 person company would do to get aligned on the quarter, right? Of course. Workboard is at right now and the way we do it, right? At our size and scale. And this is very similar to the way I did it in my last company over the seven or so years I was CEO there. We have a quarterly event. At that quarterly event, we do a couple things. 
everybody has their OKRs done before the event. So teams, I've set mine at the leadership team level with my uh, leaders around the table. They've done the same thing with their teams and so on. Then at the company event, we break it into uh, and we break it into thirds, right? So the first third is I'm giving a, a market view where we are, where the market's unfolding, what I think is coming, and similar to the kind of conversation I might have with my board, right? On the, the broad trajectory. And then I share my OKRs or the company's OKRs for the quarter. And then each of the teams and functional teams in the org does a skip level. So instead of the VP talking about the CTO and the VP of engineering talking about his OKRs, four or five of his team members will come up and share what they learned retrospective last quarter and share the highlights or, or provide their point of view on what it is they're going to measure in the go forward. So their OKRs forward. And then we'll do that round robin so people get to hear the pride, the reach, the inspiration in people's voices, and they get to know each other because our headcount's changing really fast. So it's a way for the 30 new people who started this quarter to hear from and learn and meet the others. And then we'll do some learning activity together that day. So we'll usually play a set of games that help each other build relationships, but also build skill in competing in our market. And then the last part, we'll just go off and do something fun that's just pure team building. And we run that quarterly cadence of getting aligned and, and getting aligned with pride and ambition of learning together and of playing together every quarter. And usually this uh, quarterly offsite gets for two days, two days and a half. One day usually because the team's already done their thinking about their OKRs before the event. So it's, uh, it's actually uh, connecting and going forward rather than thrashing it out. In our larger customers and even uh, some startups that are about a thousand people or so, what will help them do is uh, set the leadership team's OKRs, maybe end of quarter minus two weeks, set the executive team OKRs. That's usually a half a day, might be a full day, depending on how much strategy change and shift there is in their world. And then do an offsite with, for example, the top 100 or 120 people and do a two-day offsite where the leadership team shares what the OKRs, a, a bit of retrospective, and then the OKRs for the next quarter. And then we'll break the teams into small groups and each of those groups, so marketing, customer success, dev and so on, will do a working session at the offsite to localize the company objectives and key results into their team. That will take maybe four hours on the first day, three hours on the second day. Then they do similar to what we do. They'll each read out what their OKRs are so that right in that moment, you everybody gets aligned you identify where there's really important lateral alignment that needs to happen. And everybody has an opportunity to really, I'll call it push on, whether the teams are working really in concert with each other or there's a check the box. By the end of the second day, you generally, in my experience, you have a, an organization that is intensely focused and energized by what they're gonna go accomplish together. And that kind of setting, that offsite motion I think drives higher integrity alignment and higher integrity key results than having teams go off and just plug it in and nobody nobody ever comes together around them. Right? I think that that second process where everybody does it alone and there is no cohesion around it, 
that quickly becomes a exercise in name only uh, and, and loses integrity pretty quickly. Very good point. And we are coming close to the end of the show. Uh, it's incredible how time flies mm -hmm. on, on, those, on these conversations. Uh, I, I will not cover today the fundraising uh, lessons and cash that's super important in companies that are scaling, which is also a very good reason to have you back uh, soon to, to discuss another audit and also your, your fundraising lessons. But I would ask the, the closing question of the show, which is almost already a tradition. Uh, if you would have the opportunity uh, to meet yourself uh, in the beginning uh, of starting up workboard or even uh, earlier, uh, what should you tell yourself? What advice would you offer to yourself? Mm -hmm. So if I was uh, starting workboard or starting a company, I was much younger. I think the... Um, a lesson I learned, uh, not with my own company, but I was a third person in another startup. And I learned a brutal lesson about cash, uh, brutal lesson, uh, fatal uh, actually. And it was uh, so painful, so painful to have built a team. And then we, the CEO made a set of poor bets uh, and he miscalculated cash and uh, after I built it, my own team was 35 people and built it. I love them. We were, it was just fabulous. And literally just because he ran out of cash, I had to go, not because the market was bad. He just misplayed his hand and I had to go let all those 35 people go. Uh, I was 24 at the time and it was so catastrophic to me. Uh, anyway, since those days, uh, I have been crazy, crazy aware of cash and cash runway um, and actually just that, how much cash I have and where we are and how long that lasts, that actually never leaves my mind, even when I'm sleeping, it's just be super tuned into that. So one is really be aware of months remaining, really be aware of that, have the discipline to set gates. I'm not going to spend any more. I'm not going to raise my burn rate until I have this proof, this proof, and this proof. Right? As opposed to, I'm just going to keep raising my burn rate, but the proofs I was hoping to get from burning that money didn't come. I keep those really aligned. The next I would say on cash and cash awareness is if you're cash aware, you're also aware of your unit economics, how much things really cost you. And then if you really dive into that and you really understand those levers well, you start to be smarter and more efficient about your costs because you recognize that if it costs you $2 to acquire $1 in revenue, you're going to grow much slower than the company that spends $1 to acquire two. And that company is going to be able to use its capital to outrun you, right? And be able to raise new capital at much more favorable rates. And so I think if you are cash aware all the time, you know, months on hand, you set gates for when you're going to increase your spending. So the proof and the spending are coming together. And last, you really dig into the unit economics. So you really understand what a customer costs, what a lead costs, what a developer costs. If you really understand that well, you'll make smarter decisions about where to spend money. Very good point. And we said it would not talk about cash, but uh, the advice was amazing around uh, around the topic. So you combine it both questions and, and we still provided the audience a, a lot of value here. Thank you so much, Deidre. It was an amazing uh, show and amazing conversation. Thank you. It was a pleasure to talk to you.
So thank you also for being on that side um, listening up, and I hope that you are enjoying. Feel free to share feedback. My my name is Mike. I'm available at Mike at skillatvalley.com. Feel always free to reach out to us with new suggestions of guests, topics, uh, anything that would be useful on your scaling up journey to 100 million uh, ARR. So see you soon, and thank you so much for joining.